Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on John, Believe. Good morning. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to turn to John chapter 8 if you're using the journal. Hopefully, uh, it's been a great week of study and pondering for you as we uh, dive into what I believe is one of the richest stories and chapters uh, in the Gospel of John. It's so powerful. If you're visiting today, we're so glad to have you. I pray that you're ministered to. I pray that you're encouraged today. And uh, I pray that each and every one of us came in with our hearts open, anticipating that the Holy Spirit would really have just total freedom to speak into our world and into our hearts uh, in a powerful way. So John chapter 8, uh, as I spoke last week, we're in John 7 looking at the Feast of Tabernacles. If you missed that message, I would encourage you to get online, thecrossloganville.org. All of our messages are there, and you can access them. I've got six pages of notes. All of my notes are always posted after the message, so you can access them, print them off. My one good friend, Alan Opdyke, he's been in this church for quite a while. Uh, he's in his mid-70s, but Alan came up to me a few weeks ago, and he said, hey, I just want you to know, I've got all the notes printed out uh, so far. I've got me a notebook. I've got them all uh, laid out in order, and I, I want you to know that not only am I going through the messages with you when you do them, I'm going back in, uh, in a few months and go over the messages again. He said, so thank you for making those available. I would encourage you to take, uh, uh, take advantage of that. John 7, uh, Jesus finishes up. Nicodemus has now stood and said, hey, man, uh, you, you can't bring him to trial without first having uh, some type of accusation really uh, against him, talking about Jesus. If you finish John chapter 7, the last verse says everybody went home. So Jesus goes back over to a place called the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives, the temple is located, there's a, a brook, a valley called the Kidron Valley. Uh, Jesus walks through it. The Mount of Olives is where Jesus prays, uh, sweats of uh, drops of blood uh, the night before his crucifixion. The Mount of Olives is like a very pivotal place in, in, in ministry for Jesus. And he would oftentimes meet with his disciples there. Now Jesus has made his way back to the temple. That's where we're going to pick up this story today. Now, my prayer is every heart would be wide open, as I said, to really allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you as we get into this. I studied this, prepped it, prepared, uh, really struggled through, Ian, uh, just what I felt like the Lord wanted me to share on Tuesday, and I've had an opportunity to live out what we're talking about Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, okay? So th th this is for all of us, starting in verse 2, engage. Early the next morning, Jesus was back at the temple. A crowd gathered, and Jesus sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and Pharisees, they brought a woman they had caught, caught in the very act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd, and then they said, teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says stone her. What do you say, Jesus? What do you say? This is a very blatant uh, vulnerable, transparent text, if you will. One of my favorite writers over the years is a guy by the name of Max Lakeda. When I first came to faith in Christ in 1985, uh, shortly after, I was introduced to Max Lakeda. I read God Came Near, No Wonder They Call Him the Savior, 
on the anvil, I started reading everything pretty much that Locato would write. He is one of the most uh, captivating writers, if you will, uh, I believe in our day. And he is still writing books today. But how he captures this right here to me is fascinating. Listen to what Max said. They yanked her out of the bed and yelled, Get up, you harlot. What kind of woman do you think you are? The bedroom door slammed. They threw back the curtains. They pulled the covers off of her. And they said, shame on you. You're pathetic. You're disgusting. You're a harlot. She didn't even have time to get dressed before they marched her through the streets. Dogs are barking. Roosters are running wild. And women are leaning out the window to watch what's going on. Bedroom embarrassment, a parade of shame through the streets. Then the men march her into the middle of a morning Bible study. The students of Jesus are standing on one side, and the religious bounty hunters are standing on the other side. They had their conviction, they had their attitude, they had their angle, and all she had was a dirty negligee and a heart that had been humiliated. In the moment of passion, we caught her, Jesus. The law says, stoner, killer, what do you say? What do you say? Get the story, get the backdrop, you feel it. She's caught, she's embarrassed, she's ridiculed, she's shamed, she's humiliated, and all of these religious men were standing tall. Yeah. And with their rocks in their hand, they're staring her down, and they're looking to Jesus saying, what do you say? What do you say, Jesus? And you've got to stop and go, how did they catch her in the act of adultery. How did they catch her? This story is not right. This story is twisted. This is a perverted story. How did they catch her? And you have to ask the question, is this story really about a woman caught in adultery? Is the story really about keeping the law of Moses? Because in the rabbinical law, adultery was a capital offense and it was punished by murder. And if you look back some 2,000 years ago, according to the Jewish rabbinical system, you were caught in a, the act of adultery. You were stoned. You were killed. But the law demanded that in order for such an accusation to be brought, that it had to have an eyewitness. That's twisted. That's wrong. Someone had to see it with their own eyes. And Nick, you could not say, well, I, I saw them walk in the bedroom, and I saw them walk out. Not sufficient. Eyewitness. Had to see the very act itself. So then you start to ponder this, and you go, where is the man? Where is the dude? Because based on just a simple working definition of adultery, it takes two to tango. Where is he? Is it really about her? Is it really 
about the law of Moses? And when you study it, the reality is this. This woman had been set up as a cheap trick. And she had been set up as a trap. And the religious guys of that day, not only were they willing to cause adultery, but they were willing to cause a murder. And religion inside the hearts of anyone can create an attitude of superiority. It can create such haughtiness and arrogance. And religion in its purest definition is nothing more than a return to bondage. But I'm reading through this and I'm like, why did they do what they did? And I will tell you, it had nothing to do with her. It had everything to do with their hatred of Jesus. Why would they bring her into public shame? Their hatred for Jesus. And the Pharisees had gotten to a place where their hate for Jesus trumped their devotion to God. Hatred is toxic. Hatred destroys. Hatred will absolutely drive you to a place of deep bitterness. Hatred will eat away at the heart and the mind. Hatred will cause you to do things you never dreamed or even imagined possible. I've seen people with hate. I've, I've actually met with people in penitentiaries. How did you get incarcerated? I found my wife with another man. I lost it and I killed him in a moment of just hate, anger, bitterness, and rage. And when you start to look at where the Pharisees and the religious teachers were, their hatred for Jesus drove them insane. These guys were keepers of the law. These guys even defended the law. These guys lived conservative lives, but their hate drove them to do the impossible. Hate can turn a good guy into a killer. Hate can mess with you. And what we know and study is that hate and love cannot coexist. Hate and love cannot coexist. At the core of what hate does, and this is these guys, man, we're perverted, we're wrong, we're, we're all jacked up. And, and hate can create some unique alliances at times. Because you've got the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they both hated each other. But they formed an alliance because of their hatred for Jesus. And I'm telling you right now, nothing unifies like a common enemy. And when you start to get your affection set on what you're against, be careful. Watch what you're capable of doing. We live in a society today, even in the South, and I want you to hear this. There's so many people that are so proud of their denominational affiliation. And what we'll end up doing, if we're not careful, we'll raise our Baptist flag. We'll raise our Assembly of God flag. We'll raise our Methodist, Presbyterian, Church of God flag. And before you know it, you start attacking other people that are not in your camp. The people that were made in the very image of God, we start attacking. We start attacking. I'm better than. You're different than. Let me encourage you and warn you, it's 2020. Be careful with your political affiliation. It can cause you to start to hate other people that were created in the image of God. 
We might not dot every I and cross every T, but there are people on this planet that matter to God. They're created in the image of God. And our hate is not going to communicate the love of God. Let me go ahead and step out on this limb. Be careful of your collegiate football affiliation. In the South, I've seen people argue and fight, even believers that love God. And they get so fired up about the dogs or about the tigers or about the gators or about... And they start treating other people with disrespect. Hate perverts. Hate corrupts. Hate will cause you to do things you never thought possible. And here's my encouragement to you today. Even as we move into a time of prayer later on, deal thoroughly with any hate, any resentment, any bitterness, anything going on inside of your heart that reduces the Holy Spirit from having full permission. You may have come in here today and you hate yourself. You may resent yourself. You may be so down on yourself. That's not of God. God loves you. You've been made in the image of God. You reflect the very DNA of God. They look at Jesus and say, the law of Moses says, stone her. What do you say? Now here's the piece. They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Against him. Against him. Hatred toward him. It wasn't about her. It wasn't about the law. It was vile. It was corrupt. It was misguided hate. She became nothing more than a pawn in the great chess match of the religious pe people of that day to say, we want to take him out. He's threatening our power. He's threatening our influence. We've got to deal with him. In verse 6, oh, verse 6 says, what are you going to do, Jesus? And the scripture says, and Jesus stooped down and began to write in the dust. Jesus stooped down and began to write in the dust. They stood tall. You harlot, you're no good. They shamed her. They condemned her. They ridiculed. And Jesus was willing to touch the ground that she walked on. This ain't the first time he touched dirt. He made man out of dirt. He touched the ground, the very dirt. He reached below the sole in her heart and even the sole of her shoe to touch the ground to say, basically, you, you, you matter. And one of the things I know after walking with Jesus all these years now is that grace is willing to stoop down. Grace is willing to lower itself. Grace will exchange self-righteousness, hatred, resentment, piousness for humility. Grace stooped down. Grace reached out. Grace offered hope. And I'm pondering this. Grace is the voice that calls us to change and then gives us the power to do it. When grace calls your name, when grace echoes throughout your heart and soul, Big T, he's saying, 
you got you you got to change, but I'm going to give you the power to do it. Religion says God will love you if you will change. The gospel says God loves you and he's willing to change you. And we try to jump through so many religious hoops. Oh, I've got to do something in order to come to God. I've just got to come to God. I can't do it on my own. I've made a mess of it. Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorite writers, Lakeda Swindoll, two great influencers in my life. But Chuck Swindoll said, grace acknowledges the ugliness of sin by choosing to see beyond it. I'm not going to let you off the hook. She was a willful per- participator. It takes two to tango. She's not off the hook. It doesn't say she was raped. It doesn't say anything other than she was caught in the act of adultery. She, she participated. Richard, she owns some of this right here. But what I know about grace is I'm willing to look beyond the obvious to what I know the Father can do in your life. Grace, Swindoll says, accepts a person as worthy of kindness despite whatever filth keeps her separated from dignity. I'm going to extend kindness. Grace is a gift of tender mercy, and it makes no sense. I'm going through this Tuesday pondering, going, yes, grace, grace, amazing grace. Grace is willing to step down. Grace is willing to offer hope. Grace loves. The religious are saying, what are you going to do, Jesus? What are you going to do? They were talking to grace. They were talking to love. They were talking to forgiveness. They were asking the very essence of grace and mercy and tenderness. What are you going to do? And Jesus stands and he walks in between her shame and their hatred. And he stands and he says, he who is without sin, he who has never jacked it up, He who is without sin, let him be the first to cast the stone at her. Y'all want to throw rocks at her? Y'all want to stone her? Because of your hate for me? You want to see how I'm going to answer it? You want to see whether I'm going to violate the Roman mindset of that day? You want to see if I'm going to go against the Jewish rabbinical system? Y'all are trying to trap me, trick me, take me down. You're looking for a reason to bring something against me. Hey, you without sin? Throw your rocks at her. And one by one, starting with the oldest, he shut their mouths and they dropped their rocks and the scripture says they walked away. Y'all are trying to set a trap for me. Y'all are trying to take me out. This is not about this woman. This is not about even what this woman has done. Verse 9, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one. Don't miss this phrase. Until only Jesus was left with a woman. And you and I, one day, it's just going to be you standing before the Lord. Me standing before the Lord in judgment. And even today as we sit here, it's not about anybody else. It's not about what anybody else has done, no matter what they believe or how they've treated you. It's you and Jesus alone today. 
You are standing face to face with the Lord right now. It's just you and Jesus. What are you going to do? The woman was just left with Jesus. And the scripture says, Jesus stood and looked at her and said, Woman, where is the one who condemns you? Where is the one who accuses you? Where's your accusers? And man, what a great question that is to pose to yourself today. I mean, it was relevant for her, Rick, but it's relevant for us. Hey, Tim, where is the accuser? Where are the voices of accusation that you've entertained? You're no good. You suck. You'll never amount to anything. You failed again. You're terrible. Where's the voice of accusation? And the scripture says in Revelation 12, 11, that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Day and night, he stands before the throne making accusation, Danny, against us. He's accusing you. You're no good. You'll never amount to anything. And the only one who was in a position and even worthy and had the authority to bring judgment says, I don't, I don't accuse you and condemn you either. I mean, God's speaking to this lady. You don't condemn me? Romans 8, 1, no, I don't, because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Stop, stop, stop. Stop. Close your eyes. It's Jesus and you. It's only you and Jesus. Eliminate distractions and just listen. My eyes are closed. My heart is open. My ears are open. And I believe the heart of heaven is saying to you right now, it's time to stop condemning yourself. It's time to stop condemning yourself for all the times you fail. Yes, you've lived your own way. You haven't lived my way. You chose the rocky road of sin, but I love. I love you. I am graceful. I am forgiveness. My arms have always been wide open. My child, come to me. You will not find any condemnation in my heart toward you. I love you. And you must learn to love and forgive yourself. I will lead you, but you must trust me. I'm enough. Receive my love. Quit running from me. I'm enough. Let's just keep your eyes closed. And even as you sit there, I encourage you bring your failure and sin to the light of Christ. No fragmenting, no partial disclosure, no holding on. The only one who is qualified to condemn you and send you to hell eternally says, I don't condemn you, I love you. Don't reject my love anymore. And as you bring your sin and failure to the light of Christ, just extend your hands and say, I receive your forgiveness And I extend forgiveness to myself. God, I receive your forgiveness. You have forgiven me. Past, present, and future sin. 
and receive it. And understand the difference between behavior and identity. What you did versus who you are in Christ. Yes, my behavior is jacked up. I had a core operational belief that I could get my needs met apart from Christ. I can't do it anymore. Lord, you tell me I'm your child, and you tell me you love me, and you tell me I'm forgiven, and you tell me I'm justified, and you tell me I'm a new creation. Embrace the love of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for freedom over this room right now. I pray for release, Father, in the name of Jesus. I pray that every guy and gal in this room would lay their brokenness before you and completely surrender because, Father, you're looking down going, I love you. I forgive you. You matter. I made you in my own image. I made you out of dirt. I know who you are. I died for you. Amen. I want you to look at me as I'm going through this. For me, he stoops down. And all I could see, and I told Nick this, Nick this on Wednesday morning. I said, Nick, I'm reading through this, and here's the thing that breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. I'm reading through this going, that's somebody's daughter. That's somebody's sister. That's somebody's baby girl. As I walk through the week, it's like you've got a chance to live it out. You're, you're, you're dealing with situations right now. People need counsel. People need encouragement, Tim. Somebody's boy. Somebody's brother. Somebody's son. Somebody nurse that little dude right there. Somebody nurse that little girl right there. And I played a part, I, I tried to get my knees met apart from Christ, and now I'm standing before the Savior. And Rick, Jesus, I believe, shows us here how to love our neighbor. I'm reading this, and I'm like, wow. He graced her. He extended compassion, and I personally believe the reason he knelt down is that he refused to look on her shame. And they marched her in here, and they've thrown her in the middle and smeared lipstick and probably weeping of tears and mascara running all over the place in this nasty negligee. I got compassion for you. I know you're hurting. And I, as I'm pondering that, I'm like, he met her with love. He called her, he said, woman, 
which was a statement of worth. It's the same statement he used. It's the same word he used in John 2 when he looked at Mary and said, Woman, my time has not yet come. It was not a condescending statement. Nick, he extended dignity to her. And he said, Woman, where are your accusers? Woman, what have you done? He forgave her. Oh, I need forgiveness every day. He goes, hey, neither do I condemn you. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not, I'm not going to rip you off. He challenged her. Don't miss this point. He challenged her. He didn't just say, hey, grace is available. I've got compassion for you. I want you to know you matter. I want you to know you're forgiven. Now, just figure it out. He did. He goes, now listen to me. Go. But cut that life of sin out. Stop it. Stop going down that path. Stop doing those things. Stop. Cut the life of sin out. Stop. It's left you empty. It's left you broke. You found yourself ridiculed and shamed because of what you did in your sin. Stop it. Stop. Stop. And he treated her with dignity. And he opened the door for grace. And the Cross Loganville is a place where you can repent. We're not going to dog you and damn you and shame you and condemn you. I can promise you in Jesus' name. Come to the cross. Come find healing. Now we're going to sit there with you and go, hey, keep living in your sin. It's okay. Stop it. And the world will bring about condemnation and damnation and shame and guilt. And they will beat you down. And Jesus says, come to me if you're tired and if you're exhausted. And I, I wrote this out the other day. I'm like, stop. You come in here today feeling overwhelmed with your past failures. And you have committed, fill in the blank. Ah. Uh, this is my junk. And I would encourage you during our prayer time, we have pens and three by five cards at the cross. I've been carrying this. Write it out, fold it up, lay it at the cross and go, Jesus, you can have it. I can promise you there is so much more to your life than your sin. There is so much more to your life than your sin. You can be so much more than you've ever been. It's not too late. Tim, I've been stuck in this crap for years. I, I've been living the life of a narcissist and a player, and I've been doing my own thing, and I'm already in my 50s or in my 60s. Stop it! You don't have to stay stuck any longer. You don't have to parade your pride around any longer. You, you don't have to live defeated any longer. You don't have to live in misery any longer. You can actually repent and turn from your sin. And Steve, we've seen it happen, brother. We've seen people fall on their face before the Savior and experience forgiveness and love. And the joy of the Lord becomes central. And the joy of the Lord starts to trump all the guilt and the shame. Repent. I'm turning from it confess I've jacked it up I can't do it on my own I don't even know how to do it 
quit trying to defend your dignity. You ain't got any. I don't have any apart from Christ. I'm no good. There's nothing good that dwells within me. Surrender. Here's my wrap. Think about this, girls. Think about this. I'm going through this going, all right, what can I personally learn from Jesus? Here, here would be the first thing. Judge yourself with the same judgment that you judge others. Rick, I think a great takeaway for us is if I'm going to judge others, if I judge them with the same judgment, you care, you're going to carry on yourself. They didn't care about her. They didn't care about the humiliation. They didn't care about the embarrassment. They, they, they didn't care. And you know what we can take away from this? You can be religious and not be godly. Because religion is ruthless and arrogant and condescending. And godly is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And you know what Jesus did? You know what Jesus did? He goes, uh, hey guys, bring me the window. Oh, you're holding your window up and you're wanting to point out how jacked up and how many flaws this girl's got. And he handed them a mirror. Why don't you look at yourself? Any of y'all without sin? Now, some commentators take some liberties that said when Jesus bent over and started writing in the ground, he started writing John. He's hooked up with and he started listing all the women he had been unfaithful with. And there's old Bob started listing his name. And there, I don't have the liberties. The scripture doesn't say it. <laughs> we don't know. But we know that there's no condemnation in Christ, and that would even be inconsistent with the way Jesus would love them. Hey, second point would be this. Drop your rock and stop ranking sin. We live in a culture that loves to put a grade on sin. Well, I, I know I gossip a little bit, Tim, and I, I, I lust a little bit, but I've never been unfaithful. Stop ranking sin. Because what we find, Orlando, is this. We are very quick to attack what we feel we're less likely to participate in. I'm going to throw rocks at what I don't think I would do. He goes, I've called you to love your neighbor. Drop your rock. Quit attacking others. They will know you by your love for one another. And here's what I knew coming into this. Even as I prayed with my buddies John and Kenny this morning, I said, there is not one word I can share that can bring about lasting change in any individual's life. The only thing that can bring lasting change in our lives is the powerful work of the Holy Spirit with us totally repenting and yielding Dano to the Holy Spirit. Then we can see change. I have to open my life to the Lord. I can't fix you, can't change you, can't save you, can't make choices for you. But Tara, when you repented and you said, Jesus, I'm coming to you, take over my life, that's when the change started. Here would be another observation. Jesus did not come to punish her. He came to become her punishment. And man, I have to step into that. Jesus, 
What is your punishment for her going to be? I'm going to die for her on the cross one day. I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit. I'm willing to become her atoning sacrifice. I didn't come to punish her. I came to become her punishment. Hey, 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 Tim. As you read through this, I just want you to remember I became your punishment. Tim, I died in your place. And I exchanged your sin and put it on me on the cross and gave you my righteousness. Every person sitting here, Jesus Christ has died personally for you. Corporally for the world, but naked died for you, buddy. And that's the reason Jesus, I believe, even stands and says, again, tabernacle, feast of tabernacle, celebrating the ceremony of water and light. <laughs> Jeff, he goes, I'm the light of the world, and he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. That's what he says in verse 12. I'm the light of the world. And, and I just extended light to a girl who was living in shame. And I just exposed darkness to those who are dark. But my light's available for them too. I'm the light. I illuminate. I attract. I draw. I, I want you to get it. I expose. I love. And this is the, the wrap. And, and he looked. People are still hanging. And that some are ripping and some are ridiculing. But then he, he's, he shares this thought. And it's become such a, a crucial passage for me. And he looks at the Jews who had believed and he says, if you, if you will remain and abide in my word, you will become my disciples. If you remain and abide and allow my word to saturate and fill you, then, then you will know the truth. And then the truth will set you free. I'm the light of the world. I don't condemn you. But now come. Abide in my word. Get to know me. Dwell with me. Hang with me. Let me love on you. Now, 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 if you do that, Andrew, you'll start moving into the truth and you'll know the truth. And the truth will lead you to freedom. You don't have to live in bondage. And you don't have to live locked up anymore. And you don't have to live paralyzed by your own failures or guilt or shame. Just come, come, come and abide with me. And I invite you. To abide with him. You living in guilt, shame. You beat yourself up. The voices of accusation still haunt you. Lay it before the cross today. Jesus is saying, I love you. I'm for you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? But stop. Well, I, I, I want to have one foot in with Jesus. And the other one in the world, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. You're either all in with the Lord, it's not going to work. Well, I, I'm going to go to church occasionally, and I, I mean, I pray it at times. 
Repent. Cut it loose. Jesus said, now go and don't do that anymore. I want you to live life. I want you to have purpose. I want you to live in freedom. Now come to me and abide with me. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, we hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you've ever stepped in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we want to see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You watch past messages, your testimonies from people. But we pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.